Good evening, folks. This is Jay from Jay Talk. <laughs> and of course, we have our wonderful co-host, Mr. Misbehaviorist, Nick from the Nick Drop. What do you mean, Mr. Misbehaviorist? What is that? Is that a new word? <laughs> yes, exactly. Misbehaviorist? Yes. Wow. So, I've been called a lot of things in my time, Jay, but misbehaviorist? <laughs> I thought it would go well with what we're talking about today. You just made that up. Exactly. <laughs> I'll take it. Okay, there you go. I'll so, And of course, we uh, love to welcome our guest, star of our own TED Talk, Julie <laughs> Overstreet. Hello. How are you? I'm doing very well. How are you? I'm good. So, yes, I like to make it fun. So, yes. Anyway. I think the only reason you put me on here is for the comic relief. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm so, just saying. So introduce yourself to the, uh, the rest of the world here, Julie, for those who haven't seen your TED Talk. Okay, um, so my name is Julie Overstreet. I work right now for Woodland Springs Hospital, which is a psychiatric hospital located in Conroe. I do business development, which is a lot of outreach, but I also have a very big passion and heart for mental health education, primarily because not only do I work in the mental health field, but I am a peer, which means I live with mental illness. I have family members that live with mental illness, and so I feel like I guess spreading education about mental health and mental wellness, um, it could just save a whole lot of heartbreak. So true there. Absolutely too true. Yeah. So you also are involved in the Talk Saves Lives for the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Yeah, I do some volunteer work for Talk Saves Lives. I mean, for uh, American Foundation of Suicide Prevention, I teach Talk Saves Lives for them. I also do some volunteer work for NAMI, the National Alliance on Mental Illness. Um, I'm the former director of development for NAMI Brazos Valley. And what I figured out is that once you, once you work for a nonprofit, you never actually stop working for the nonprofit. You basically just stop getting paid, but whatever, I love it. Um, there's a number of classes that I teach for NAMI. Um, I'm also certified to do support groups, and um, I'm also certified by the National Council on Behavioral Health to do uh, mental health first aid. Oh, amazing. That's amazing. It is. And, yeah, I love it. And by the way, I did take her class on the mental health first aid. She was my instructor, and I love the class. And if, if you can take it, I recommend you take it. It's a really great class. So, and yesterday, um, Nick and I both were uh, guests of the Montgomery County Health, uh, what is it, Health Department? Health Department. Yeah, it was, so they had a meeting there where you were giving a training, and and one of the reasons you invited us to attend is so we could kind of get a gist of how you were doing the training and talking about one of the things that I enjoyed that you talked about was DBT. And for those that don't know what DBT is, it's dialectical behavior therapy. Yes. And so it's, yeah, it's a mouthful, but you get used to it. 
So I'm going to let Julie tell us a little bit about DBT. Okay, well, before I can even start talking about DBT, I have to do my disclosure, which is that I am not a therapist. I am not a clinician, right? So the last thing I want anyone to get out of when I talk about DBT is to think that it's not for them. It's definitely something that folks should look up by themselves. When I talk about DBT, it's from a place of this is what I do for me, and maybe it'll work for you too. So that's a very peer perspective, peer being kind of some verbiage that that NAMI uses um, that means that I'm a person that lives with mental illness. Um, so, you know, that's my disclosure. I don't want to discourage anybody from getting it, um, and I don't want anybody to take my word for it. I'm not the expert. All of my knowledge, I mean, you know, I did study DBT, but I studied DBT because my life depended on it. You know, it wasn't because I... Um, when I when I started DBT, I lived in Brenham, Texas, and there were no there there were no therapists, much less DBT therapists. So I threw myself into it, you know, like it was a college course, and um, and so I just want to make sure that I'm clear that I'm coming from that perspective. This is DBT informed. I'm not a DBT wow. certified specialist. So that said, um, DBT has changed my life, and it is a mouthful. Um, but it, it's uh, dialectical behavioral therapy. Um, if you've ever heard of behavioral therapy, most people have heard of cognitive behavioral therapy. I kind of think of it as like the next wave. So there's CBT and DBT takes what we knew about that was evidence-based and that was proven about CBT and then just kind of takes it to the next level. It's got four modules. The core of all of it is mindfulness which helps with everything. Yes. And then you learn distress tolerance, which is, I don't know, I think of it like how to get through, it's skills, skills to help you get through 15 minutes, not long-term, just what can I do right now in order to get through the next 15 minutes without hurting somebody or hurting myself. So that's the second module. The third module is emotional reg regulation, which is kind of like managing my emotions over the long run. And then the final module is interpersonal effectiveness, which is how do I, how do I get what I want out of my relationships? Right. And so you, when you learn DBT, it's like when you learn mindfulness, what I've, I've come to find is you can learn it, but then it's almost like peeling back layers. You keep revisiting it and you learn it deeper and you learn it deeper. Like an you onion. revisit it. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Okay. So that's kind of the basics. It was invented by Marsha Linehan uh, back in the 70s. It's the, uh, one of the newer um, types of therapy, but it's very evidence-based, and it's actually being shown to help with a number of different disorders, um, such as borderline personality disorder, which is what it was invented for, but also for everything, for everything from PTSD to suicidal ideation to self-harming, which aren't disorders, but it's effective towards those, um, th those ways of acting out. As well as ADHD. Yeah, I, I mean, honestly, it, yes, ADHD, OCD. Uh, there's a new kind of, you know, I mean, I don't, don't want to go off, but there's a new kind of DBT called RO, or radically open DBT, that's more effective for some types of um, anxiety disorders like OCD. So, I mean, it, but it, so far, I don't know of any disorder that's not helped at least somewhat by um, 
by DBT. It's really incredible. I, I honestly, I think everybody would be helped by it, whether you have a disorder or not. These are kind that, of. I was just like about to say that. I was absolutely just about to say that this segment or this DBT, the the little that I have gotten into it since I met you the, yesterday or the other day, was this isn't just for a certain people or person or type. Everybody can benefit by at least understanding it even a little bit. So it, I was yeah. like, oh my, I mean, Jay even said, he's like, Nick's bouncing off the walls. He's 10 foot tall running down the, you know, because I was excited. <laughs> oh my God. This is the thing that, I mean, even dealing with my kids on a day to day and I, I, my youngest is 20 now and he's yeah. had struggles and he's back living with me. And of course you told the story about the dishes. Well, I, I mean, it was to the letter what you talked about. I'm sure we'll talk about the show again today, but I responded to him ex almost exactly the way I should have, thinking that I've studied, you know, studied this forever. And I was so proud of myself for that quick five yeah. minutes. That's why I was 10 I mean, it, it, <laughs> what's so crazy about it is that what, in my experience, and I've, I've done some coaching on DBT, again, not a therapist, just at the peer level. And, um, and it has made a huge difference just in the little that I can impart to folks immediately. It's the kind of thing that you could immediately apply. Once you just get the basics of it, um, just understanding things like the, um, you know, how to respond to people, just to de-escalate them, you know, understanding validation, things like that. It absolutely makes a difference. I met with a woman uh, back when I worked with NAMI who, um, she was actually a teacher at the, uh, at the DAEP, in the ISD that NAMI was contracted to, um, to work with. And so I met with her separately because she was like, can you, I know you're teaching the students and the teachers this, but can you teach me some of this? I think it might help me with her son. So her son had a traumatic brain injury and, um, and you know, he had, I mean, you can imagine he's in his twenties. He had his whole life in front of him. He was enrolled in, um, at A&M and he was in a motorcycle accident. Oh. And he lost so much of his physical abilities that now his mom had to help him with things like eating, right? Man. And he was understandably angry. Yes. Right? Which makes sense. She was having a hard time over time connecting with him and having any sort of relationship with him because she just... She couldn't figure out how to, how to, and it was just tweaking how she was handling things, just tweaking it. Once she understood the background, the why he was responding and the how she could be more effective, it made a night, like a day and night difference. You know, and the next time that I went in for my regularly scheduled class that I was teaching at the their DAEP program, she was just, Julie, oh my gosh, I have to tell you, they were building a friendship, a friendship that they had never had because it had always been mom and son before. Right. And now they were actually developing this real connection as a friendship. And it was something that she had never had before her, before his accident, just night and day. That was just after one class. Right. That's good stuff. See, one of the, I'm sorry, Jay, I didn't mean to cut you off. But no, go ahead. That's one of the things that really got me excited because right now I'm reading a book on how to, Jay and I do a lot of, talk about online dating and stuff like that. And 
it's a hindrance for us. And I'm finding out that the common denominator and all that is me. So <laughs> I took a step back and started working on me. Well, this book that I'm reading, it the basis of it is DBT. It, it's got to be. I mean, I really want to ask the guy. Of course, he's never. I'm never going to get his attention because he's worth millions and all that stuff. But the guy that wrote the book, I I, I want to go. Where are you getting your basis from? And I'll bet you anything he's going to say DBT because it. Everything that he talks about is how to validate, de-escalate, and you know, it it's it was like that's why I was bouncing off the wall. I'm like, oh my god, I take this class before. I was so excited. Sorry, no, you're that's good. Great. You're good. Great. It's it's funny, but yes, that's why yesterday he was like, whenever we walked out of the meeting, he was very passionate. He was very like, you know, excited about everything he heard from you. And that, you know, of course, I had already heard a lot of it before, and I heard some of the stories you told. So for me, it was, yeah, this was great. Um, and I think for, you know, for me, the reason why I like the DBT is, is for the exact point you said, peer. Here's the whole thing. We have friends. We have neighbors. We have family members who are struggling may have lost someone to suicide. They may be struggling with mental health. Yes, they may need to see a therapist, but that therapist is not there 24-7. But sometimes right. your peers are. And those yeah. peers, if we can increase people's awareness and give them the ability to help their friends and family and do it out of love, I think it's important. So that's why I wanted to share this with anyone I could. Is that a fair point? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. That's absolutely right. And, you know, I, I think that, um, so DBT, if you're, if you're actually doing DBT, you're plugging into it for at least a year, you have a therapist, you have a skills group, there's a lot that goes into it. So if you're somebody that, that is like me, that's living with a mental illness, particularly if you're living with something like borderline personality disorder, this is very, very effective. I think the effectivity rate is something like 70, 80%. That said, one of the things that I love about uh, one of the people that I follow, who is Dr. Frazetti, is that he really took skills. And also, I want to mention NEABPD, the National Education Alliance on Borderline Personality Disorder. I've gotten so much out of them. So I don't live with BPD, but I have a close family member that does, who I love very much. So I'm coming, even though I'm a peer and living with a different mental illness, it's more medicated and regulated through medication. Um, DBT was real, is really integral, integral for, some, for somebody that lives with, with uh, borderline personality disorder. And any ABPD has, a, has classes and very um, peer-reviewed, um, evidence-based facts and resources for family members. So what I love about Dr. Bruzzati is that he really took DBT that was created for folks that live with mental illness, and he almost like turned the wheel and said, yeah, but if it's good for folks that live with it, how about those folks that live with somebody else that has the mental illness or that is a loved one or that is a friend to somebody that has a mental illness. And so while, while DBT is a very like, um, you know, it's a, it's an actual program that right. you have to plug into, right. 
anybody can get any, you know, get skills training. Anybody can get, um, can improve their relationships with their loved ones, with neighbors, with friends, um, with their, you know, people that they see at church, right? Through learning about mindfulness and learning about how to take care of themselves, um, regulate their emotions, and of course, how to relate to other people. Right. No, I agree. And so let's talk a little bit about the mindfulness side of it, because you talked a lot about that yesterday. So let's, let's kind of dive into that a little bit. Just give us a little bit on that. Okay. Well. <laughs> See, I, I, so, I love hearing you talk about it, so I'm, I'm going to ask you. Yeah. No, it's going to be different. You haven't heard this, actually. Okay. This is actually... We talked about conflict resolution yesterday, and then my next presentation will probably be about mindfulness, but I'll give you some snippets. So in DBT, there's a couple, there's three different kinds of ways to practice mindfulness. The first way is the kind of way that you, you might think of automatically, and that's called observe. So observe is, you know, your typical, let's, you know, imagine that you're a feather floating down and you're land on a river and the current is taking you and this are these are your thoughts they just flow so observe is very it's it's removing uh, removing judgment but it's also very present and it's removing thoughts so that's observe so that, that's your typical meditation you could be staring at a candle saying um you know right whatever right. okay so that's one little so the next one is called describe, and it's very similar to observe, except that you're putting words to it. So describe would, would sound something like, and it's, non, it's non-judgmental, you're just describing the facts. In this moment, I am feeling an emotion of anxiety. My anxiety on a scale from one to 10 is at a six. I'm feeling it in my gut. I can feel the tension. I can feel heat on my, on my face. But all of those are just describing, right? That, that's the describe skill. Yes, ma'am. It's just describing. It doesn't have any kind of judgment to it. So the third type of mindfulness is called, um, shoot, my main mind just went blank, um, participate. It's actually my favorite because I'm the kind of, like, I'm kind of a doer. Okay. Right? And it's hard for me to, like, quiet my mind. So participate comes naturally to me, but it doesn't come naturally to other people who are, uh, I'm an extrovert, right? So it's it, I, it's easy for me to participate. Participate is the is the state that you go into when you're no longer thinking about anything. You're just doing, right? Like uh, it's it's the like uh, runner's high, right? Or it's where you go when you're listening to your music. You're not thinking about what's for dinner. You're not worried about you know whether you're going to get fired tomorrow. You're just in the moment doing the thing. Okay. Isn't that why so, they invented TV? What's that? <laughs> well, the reason that we watch TV is to forget no, about reality for a no, while. No, that's that's more like the opposite of mindfulness. That'd be like oh. flatlining. Okay. This isn't that. I do have a great example of participate, okay? <laughs> so there was a couple of weeks ago, uh, we went bowling in our little support group. And we all went to dinner. And I'll be honest with you. Nick, there was something on the menu he wanted. And he mentioned it when we got to the restaurant and, you know, said something about it. But he actually 
didn't order it. We weren't even, we were so in the moment of talking to each other that he didn't even order it. Now, the funny thing is, is the waiter remembers him uh, talking about it and he brought it anyway, which was really funny. So this was really great. Okay. So, but the point is, I think we sat at that restaurant for like four hours. I mean, we sat there forever and just in the moment, we weren't really caring about who's around us. We didn't care about, I mean, we weren't even focused on the food as much because I mean, we, I don't think we ate half of it. You right. know, which is really, talking. yeah. So, I mean, we were just sitting there and we were in the moment for people just talking. And so I yeah. think, is that what you're talking about? To participate. You just absolutely blew everything That's the out. thing with participate. It could be anything. It could be whatever it is that you enjoy doing. It could be painting. It could be riding your bike. It could be bowling. It could be hanging out with friends. Like whatever you can get into in the moment that gets you out of your own head, that's participate. Um, I'll tell you what, um, one example that I've done in a group setting is, um, and I might do this, um, because this is their next lesson with the, uh, middle Montgomery County health department. Anyways. So I I'll bring in like a dozen eggs and have all of the participants try to take their eggs and balance it vertically where it doesn't fall over. Okay. And it's a really silly exercise. But in the moment when everybody is trying to do that, that is all they're thinking about. Yes. They're not thinking about what's for dinner. They're not thinking about their work. They're just in the moment trying to balance an egg. And that's what I love about it is it really mindfulness sounds like I have to be up on some mountain in a cave meditating with, with my hand, fingers in a particular position, maybe elevating, you know, I don't know. That's what it sounds like, or that's the impression that I have. Right. But when you get into it, it's really about getting out of your head. And that's so layered. It's layered because, for one thing, when you do a brain scan of somebody that is in the moment, that is meditating or practicing mindfulness, you'll see that the part of their brain that's lit up is this part of their brain. It's the part that connects the right from the left, the front from the back. It's the exact part of your brain that you need to get from an emotional mind state to a logical mind state. It's the exact part of your brain that you need to get from fight or flight up to here where you can think about long-term goals and consequences. So on one level, just one level, you're exercising this part of your brain and just any muscle, the more often you exercise it, the stronger it becomes. You're exercising neurology, right? And I tell folks, neurology is like a pathway. If I walk outside my house from my front door to my mailbox through my grass one time, it's probably not, it's going to break a couple leaves. It's not going to do a big, a, a big deal. But if I keep on doing it over and over and over again, say I keep doing it for months and months, say I keep doing it for years and years, eventually that creates a path, right? Yeah. And if I keep on doing it, then it becomes almost like a rut. Right. So we have ruts and ways of thinking already. Let's create this as a rut. Let's create a strong rut between our, our right brain and our left brain, between fight or flight and between a long-term goals and consequences. So that's, that's just one level. That's two levels, I think. On a separate level, it gives us, I think of it as take, Buddhism has a phrase called taking refuge. 
taking refuge. And in the, and what that means is just giving ourselves a break. Life is hard. Like, spoiler alert, we are going to go through grief. Yes. And stress, trauma, all of those things. You can use mindfulness as a way to take a refuge. Just take a break. Give your brain just a minute to relax and not have to be logical and not have to be emotional. Right. But take refuge here and allow those other parts of you to restore themselves. Um, so to me, mindfulness, I mean, yes, it's the, it is the cornerstone. It's the cornerstone to all of the skills because when you practice it, what happens is like, it's like a miracle and it works almost immediately. I'm talking within two weeks. If you create a mindfulness practice every day for two weeks, I guarantee you'll see results. And the results are in every area of your life because it changes you. It changes your reaction to things, um, your your gut reaction. Not even necessarily, I mean, yes, your your out loud reaction, but also your gut reaction. So it it's almost like it slows down time. You see a thing, you you experience an event, or there's something in your environment. And you no longer have to react to it. You have this time to decide how to react to it, um, to observe it non-judgmentally, and and that that's the outcome of the practice. And it sounds silly to balance an egg. You know, another uh, another example that I did that was a mindfulness exercise. We went, I went to a conference one time and they opened it with two mindfulness activities. The first one used the skill observe. And so it was one of those kind of guided meditations, you know, imagine that you are, you know, you're a cloud and you're drifting with the wind and nothing can pull you down. And you're just looking over the earth and your feelings are way down there and yada, yada, yada. I'm not good at those. Um, so there was that one that we started with. And then this other lady came out and she was Brazilian, I think, or Italian. And, uh, she spoke Italian and, uh, she goes out and she's kind of in the middle. We're sitting here. She's in the aisle. She says, okay, everybody has to stand up and they have to repeat after me, but they have to use the same hands, arm movements okay. that I'm doing. So she gets in the middle and she says, okay. And she says something in Italian. I don't know Italian, but she says something like Riverdirce. And we all had to stand up and say Riverdirce, like really loudly and use the arm inflections and all that. That was an example of participate. It's letting go of your inhibitions and just being in the moment. The, another thing that I'll add to this, so you can practice it just by being in the moment, whatever it is that you love to do. But what I will add to it is, it is harder for me to sit and meditate. But because the, the participate comes more naturally to me, it's better for me to practice the one that's harder for me. Does okay. that make sense? Yes. It does. Because you talked about being an extrovert. An introvert yeah. wouldn't have a problem of doing the meditation or just sitting and, you know, doing the egg 
Yeah, that would that's tough for people that are extroverts. I got to get up. I got to do something. Mm-hmm. That makes sense to me. Yeah, because it's building neurology. And if I already have the neurology that's built that I can just, you know, let go and make a fool of myself, <laughs> then it's not building new neurology. But if I don't have the, you know, so it's for, to me, what I have to practice, what comes naturally, and at the very least, I'm going to do something mindful every day as part of my practice. However, if I'm really going to lean into it and really going to do some exercise that's kind of muscle building, what I need to lean into is the more on the, on the described end. What somebody that is more introverted needs to lean into is the participate. It's the letting go of their inhibitions, letting go of their self-judgments and allowing themselves to be in the moment. That's a fair point. That's a good one. Yeah. I'm sorry, Jack. I'm going to take over and keep talking. I just love this. No, go ahead. It's just stimulating. No, I'm backing away from my microphone. No, no, no. Come on, dude. You were very, you were very excited about this yesterday. So go ahead. I still am. I still am because I think this is what everybody needs to know. Even on even on the lowest level, everybody needs to be aware of it. Yeah. And, and the people that are really struggling are going to go. You know what? Maybe I should get online and find the, about found out about this. So when I found out about it, I'm like, oh my god! As soon as I got home last night, I'm googling everything and I'm reading. You know, and I got back into my book after a short period, but it made sense. And I was like, all right, here we go. So I'm going to stop talking and let you talk, Jay. <laughs> no, 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 no. See, this is this is why I wanted Julie to come on, because I was excited when I heard about it. You know, when I right. took the mental health first aid class, I, I was excited. I was, you know, I thought it was a great thing. And I did a little research on the DBT. Um, of course, you know, I've done some research. I actually loaned my mental health first aid book to my ex-wife so she could read some of it and, you know, learn a little bit about it because, you know, she's dealing with some mental health issues um, and, you know, um, family who deals with mental health issues. And I think it would be good for her. I think she should take the class. But, you know, the point is, is exposure. If people have never yeah. heard of it, then they're not going to be exposed to it. And, and I like some of the things you talked about yesterday um, in the way, you know, it, it was the fast and the other things that, you know, help kind of what's in it for me, you know, and the, the of course, you know, the vacation example was my favorite example. I won't tell the story if, if that's up to you if you want to, but I mean, those types of things, all of those things, even on a base level, I like the fact that you said, and, and I don't know if people really registered yesterday, I hope they did, but this is something we could teach our children, and as they grow older, they learn and keep these skills up, and then they teach their kids, and, and they're, they're actually, folks, I mean, yes, this is a, a program, I will agree. But some of the functions of DPT, some of the skills, I think are really base skills that every person should learn. I agree. So. Oh, I agree too. Yes. So. And it was, the steak story was my favorite. The which story? The steak. 
steak story. Steak story. That was well, and, and, you know, we talked about a lot of the interpersonal effectiveness yesterday, and um, and I can go into that, but we, but the mindfulness is the core, and and I didn't talk enough about that, I think, yesterday, because, you know, you talk about, Nick, you mentioned, you know, with people who struggle, um, mindfulness is, when you're in a moment of crisis, or your family members in a moment of crisis, mindfulness is probably not the thing you're going to think of. It's really a preventative. Right. right. You practice mindfulness and everybody, people who are struggling and, and family members, and even if you're not, because you don't know when you're going to struggle, and you are, spoiler alert, everybody needs to practice mindfulness every single day. It is like sleep. It has to happen. It needs to happen. Um, we have to create this neurology before we need it. And we've already got some, but some of us need more than others, right? Um, and we don't know when we're going to need it. So you have to do that every day. So I would encourage anybody that's struggling right now to go ahead and start this. Because it can be, for someone who's struggling, it can be refuge. And I want to say, when I... Um, one of the hardest things I ever went through, one of the ways that mindfulness helped me was by helping me take refuge. And in that moment, and I know that people can relate to this, no matter what the circumstances are, in that moment, I didn't know how I was going to go on. I didn't know what tomorrow would look like. And I didn't even know if I wanted that version of tomorrow. And the way mindfulness helped me was, um, and I'll speci very specifically, what I engaged in was something called, a, um, what I call mindfulness walk. And it is where I engaged my five senses. The bottom line is, you know, the science behind it is that the place in your brain that processes your five senses, smell, sight, hearing, texture, Touch. all that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so the, the place in your brain that processes that is a different place in your brain than processes emotions. And so by engaging in your five senses intentionally, you are literally switching your energy and your, your oxygen, your blood flow from one part of your brain to another. You're shifting it like you're turning a switch. So... Actively engaging your five senses can be very helpful for folks that are in crisis in that moment or who just need refuge. And what I do personally, and I do this almost every day as part of my mindfulness practice, but it very much helps me, helped me when I was in crisis too, is I'll go for a walk and I will just plug myself into the five senses and when a, a thought comes, a judgment comes, a catastrophe occurs to me, I just shift my brain again into the five senses. And so what does that look like? There's a five, four, three, two, one technique where you say five things I can see. Hey, Jay, what are five things that you can see right now in this moment? Uh, five things I can see right now. I've got a video camera. I've got a bass guitar. I've got my uh, Lord J. Ramsey plaque. Of course, I can see you guys. Um, and then, of course, I've got our podcast website up. Awesome. Hey, Nick, what are four things that you can touch? And you have to touch them. I can touch my printer. I can touch my MacBook. 
I can touch my podcast board. I can touch a speaker and I can touch my sunglasses. And Jay, what are four, what are three things that you can hear? Three things that I can hear. So I can hear your kids in the background every once in a while. I can hear planes overhead because I live near the airport. And then every once in a while, I'll hear my dog bark, even though thankfully it's muffled. Okay, so two things I can smell, my hair, my shirt. One thing I can taste is my coffee. In this moment, Jay, Nick, and Julie are more present than we were in the last moment. Do you not feel that? No, I Do you agree. feel it? Yeah. It's absolutely true. It brings you back present. It pulls you back into this moment. And even though our minds were not wandering, even though we were already present, we are that much more present because we have absolutely shut off everything else except for the part of our brain that feels the senses. So what I do for myself every day is part of my practice, almost every day, is I know I have to walk my dog anyway. And so I make it a mindfulness walk. And I tune into my five senses. And it doesn't have to be the five, four, three, two, one. That's a handy, like, uh, easy way to remember it. Um, But for me, I'm very tactile. I'm very touch-oriented. So what I will do while I'm walking my dog is just I will reach out and I will touch the the side of the... um, of the bridge that I'm crossing. And then I will notice the coolness and the smoothness. And then I'll compare that in my mind to the leaf that I, that comes next with the tree that's dripping down. And then I will notice that to the tall grass that I can touch and the bark. And I just touch as many things and notice, just pull myself into noticing and being curious about the textural differences um, in, in those. So it, it, pulls you out of your emotions. It pulls you out of your brain. It gives you a break. And when you're in crisis, if there's somebody watching that is in crisis or that is dealing with something deeply emotional, that little break, that little break is refuge. Just to, just to turn it off in a healthy way, not in a, I'm just going to mindlessly watch TV or not in a, I'm just going to drown myself in alcohol. It is a healthy way to just take a break for a moment, take a breather. And then when your problems aren't going away, when you go back to your problems, you're going back as a wholer person and you might have a better realization and more whole mind um, outlook on the situation that you're in. And that, that's what happened to me when I was in my last crisis is I just had to keep going back into my, into my, feel, into my senses to get out of my field so that I could really see the whole picture and know, you know, what the choices were that were in front of me. Right. So I wanted, like you, you, you know, you talked to Nick about somebody maybe in crisis and needing this and, and mindfulness sees, seems so lofty and it seems so um, preventative, but it can also be something that we can use in a moment where we need it. We can pull from it. Right. See, and I, I was, you know, Nick, can I share something about? Absolutely. Okay. Well, it's about Andrew. Go, yeah, to, yeah. go ahead and tell us a little bit about, and this is kind of something I think might help Andrew. So go ahead and, you know, because it takes him away from this and it may help him out. So, but go ahead and tell your story, man. My, my 20 year old son, out of nowhere, probably four or five months ago, started having these anxiety attacks when he was driving. And they weren't just an anxiety attack. 
we still haven't, the doctors, the neurologists, they're all doing studies. They're fixing to do some sleep studies on him and things like that. We, we can't decipher whether it's an anxiety attack, a panic attack, uh, something. But his entire body will literally just lock up. And it's, he says it's extremely painful. And he's gotten to the point now where he can tell when it's coming on. But most of the time that he has these attacks is in a vehicle. So we've been trying to determine, is it because you're in a seatbelt and confined? Um, he has them more in a smaller vehicle than he does in my big truck. Um, he's actually had them at work. Uh, he works at Waffle House. He's a chef. He's actually had them at work where he had to go in the bathroom and he literally just, he locks up. He just freezes. And when he comes away from that, he's literally exhausted because he was just as tense as he could possibly be. And nobody knows what it is. Yeah. You know, they told him, okay, you're going to have to cut out, you know, drinking and smoking, do whatever the bad things that he's doing. You need to eat better. You need to, you know, right. you start exercising, you know, get go to sleep steady. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So he does uh, on the 23rd, he, he's going to do a sleep study somewhere. The neurologist has got him doing that. And of course, they have him on some antidepressants, and they're trying to balance that out because there's some that he don't like, you know, that kind of thing. So they're trying to figure all that out. So we're kind of in a day-to-day with him. You know, it, I used to love it. I'd say, hey, son, here's some money. Go to the grocery store and get us some groceries while I'm cleaning the kitchen or cooking. You know, so we were going two different directions, and we can't do that anymore. He's absolutely deathly afraid of getting behind the wheel. Yeah. So He's almost having a panic occasion, attack, having panic attack. Yeah. On occasion, he might have it in the passenger seat of a car. But like I said, he we've we've talked about this so much. He's never had it in my big truck, but in some of the smaller cars in the passenger seat, he doesn't even put the seatbelt on anymore. So he immediately gets on his phone, and that kind of catches me off guard because a lot of people can't read in a moving vehicle because it disorients them, right? So I'm thinking if you're on your phone, wouldn't that make it, wouldn't that activate it? So we've gone through so many scenarios with this and we have no idea, none. Yeah. So well, I'll tell happened. you like the, the first time I had a panic attack, um, <laughs> I was actually training to do mental health first aid and I had already like, like done trainings on skills for panic and, and, um, and anxiety. And so that was kind of like, luckily, um, cause when it happened, um, I thought I was going to die. Like I thought I was literally dying and it was really intense and really scary. And, um, and the first thing I did was get on my phone. Really? Be- yeah. Because I, I think the the phone can be such a left brain kind of thing. Like, it, first of all, it's like an automatic, like, we just reach for our phone. If there's any kind of anything, reach for our phone, right? Um, I play a lot of, like, Sudoku, and I have, like, support groups on my phone. And so, to me, like, it's a very, like, left brain or or it's a, it's a calming, it has a calming effect just to have it. It's a tool. You know, I'm not helpless. I'm not helpless. I have a phone. Right. right? Um, And so I think that that helped, like, get me out of that feeling of, like, immediate, like, helplessness. I'm going to die. There's nothing I can do. Um, 
when I when I when I was able to like just get a a small amount of like brain thought, I remember to breathe. Breathing techniques are really helpful for anxiety. So learning like what what works for him. There's paced breathing, um, and there's a whole bunch of different kinds of paced breathing that I won't go into, but you can YouTube it. Um, so like learning a a type of paced breathing technique that works for him, and then tuning into this five senses, the five, four, three, two, one absolutely helps get you back into your body and out of your panic. I, I'm, I'm again, I'm not a clinician, but that's what I did. And it worked so well. It took me from absolutely thinking I was going to die to being able to rejoin the class. And it, it didn't take very long, probably like, I don't know, five or 10 minutes and nobody noticed. I mean, you know, I like wrote a little note to my husband who was taking the class with me that I was going to sit the next exercise out. Um, but it really didn't take long. And then I started, so then like 10 years passed and I never had another episode again. And then I recently, within the last year, started having them again in my car. And that's a whole next level of scary because you're driving Right, you know, you're trying right. this like this weapon, you know, that can hurt yourself and hurt other people, and also having this panic attack. And so, um, you know, I had to plug myself back into therapy and revisit all of my skills, practicing mindfulness, like making sure, like he's doing, that all those vulnerability factors. I'm sleeping right. I'm eating right. I'm exercising. I'm taking my medication. I'm not drinking. I'm not doing, you know, mind-altering drugs. All of those things reduce your vulnerability, right, to to having an episode. So all those things are definitely required. Um, and then on top of it, like, the thing with um, a, another concept in DBT is called pre-coping. And that's like, I think of it like packing a suitcase of the skills that you're going to need when you need them. But you think about it beforehand, before it happens, so, and practice it like a fire drill. So if, you know, if there was a fire right now, you would already know the escape route, you right. know, and, and having right. a panic attack, a panic attack, having a panic attack is like being in a fire. You know, you don't, you couldn't explain your address while you're on fire. You couldn't give somebody directions or explain something logical while you're on fire. Your brain is literally like, feels like it's on fire you have to have had already practiced these skills in order for them to be available to you. You have to have created that pathway and practice it so often that it is a clear option, an escape route. Um, and so, I, you know, I'm, again, not a clinician, but I mean, all of those things to me are sound like exactly what he should be doing as far as his vulnerability factors. And then also practicing mindfulness every day and then pre-coping by learning a breathing technique and learning how to like delve into his five senses and doing that as a practice. Like, okay, you have panic attack. What are you going to do? Right. You know, one, two, three, go. Right. right. Uh, stop, right. stop, drop and roll. Right. 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 It's right. Yeah. It's just, it's for me, my stop, drop and roll was grabbing my phone <laughs> and then breathing and then going into my five senses. That was my stop, drop, and roll. Well, see, nice. and so, I don't know. Well, see, yeah. so, sorry, I wanted to interject real quick. Sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. Um, 
But, you know, the yeah. interesting thing is, is like, I think Nick has said an, an example, and this is the reason why I kind of brought it up, is because other people can relate, is his son will call either his mom or his dad. And, and here's the beauty of it. If Nick knows, you know, and his son's like, Dad, I'm starting to feel like I'm going to go into a panic attack. I don't know what to do. And he's starting to freak oh, yeah. out. It's like, okay, what do you see? Give me five things you see. Okay. Um, you know, and, and it's like make his son start doing that. And then that kind of can help him out. And as his stun, son notices, oh, this helped, it will help his son to start practicing those skills too. You know, right. Well, and you know what that is, Jay? It's algae, right? Yes. You're going to assess for risk. You're going to listen non judgmentally. You're going to, yeah, you're going to go through. It. So, Nick, you probably need to go to mental health first aid. You need to attend that class. Now you see why I'm excited? That's part of it. You really do. Because you really do. Because that's one of the scenarios that we go through. And then, so when you're giving information, which is the third step, you're going to give information that's going to give him help, hope. Oh, sorry. So giving information is things like saying, okay, you know what? It sounds like you're having a panic attack. And we've been through that before. You've got through 100% of them. And I'm going to be right here with you while we get through this one. And then you're going to move to those encouragement, right? So encouraging professional help, sure. But also encouraging self-help strategies. And then encouraging self-help strategies is going to be, let's breathe. You know, let's take a moment and remember to breathe. Breathe in. Pause, breathe out. An easy technique, the breathing technique that I use is, is four seconds in, pause, six seconds out. It's almost like a sigh. But I, I do encourage you to look up your own, find out what he's comfortable with, and then practice that. And then we'll breathe together. And now that we're breathing, because that's gonna that's going to increase the oxygen. It's not just that breathing relaxes us, right? It's it's about getting breath, air to your brain. Because when your body tenses up like that and you're you're on fire and in your you're in this fight or flight panic, you're you're forgetting to breathe. You really are kind of holding your breath. Um, and then your your sight starts getting dimmer and you can think less and less. Um, so remember to breathe, and then after the breathing, then all right, we're gonna do the five, four, three, two, one, just like we practiced. Tell me five things. So it's it, it really like to me the the point. I mean, there's a couple points, but I, I do want to reiterate. It's about practicing it before it happens, not just not not just knowing what to do when it happens. You've got to create that fire drill. It's going to create you know not only is it going to create kind of muscle memory in him. Um, but it also creates a level of comfort that you're not just springing this on him where he's got like something else he has to do. Like he's got to do homework right now while he's on fire. Right. Right. But it's like, just like we practice, let's, uh, let's go to the five, four, three, two, one thing. And, you know, and be all calm, you know, calm during it, uh, assertive, but not aggressive. Um, and act confident during the whole thing. I, I mean, you know, again, I'm not a therapist. I am not, you know, like I am a person that had panic attacks, right? So this helped me, maybe it'll help him too. Um, but I do think that with, with anything that is anxiety related, learning to breathe and learning to get back into your physical body through your senses is super effective. It's helped my daughter with her test anxiety. She used to like pull her hair out when she had to take a test and like, it's so portable. 
you know, you don't have to have any like special tool right. to go back into your senses. Yeah. You can do it. Nobody knows that you're doing it. Yeah. He's really good at the breathing part. But I, I, I like the five senses part of it too, because all of a sudden, while he's trying to calm, trying to focus on his breathing, getting oxygen to his brain, you could take everything away from that and say, hey, what are the five things that you could touch? You know, see, whatever. Yeah. Direct the direct the oxygen away from his emotions and into this place that's very mindful and very in his body. Right. And so, you know, yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's developing the skills, which you've talked about. That is a really key point. And so, you know, for example, Nick, if I was you, this is just my, you know, you do how you want. But I know right now you're picking him up from work, you know, but maybe uh, while you're driving home from work, okay, hey, dude, what, what's five things you see? Yeah. You know, what's four things you can touch? What's, you know, three things you can, you know, but if you start that kind of, you know, and then he starts thinking about it and you, you know, you talk to him about it. I think, you know, that's the development of skills. And as a parent, I always want to help my kids develop skills that are going to be beneficial. Right. Starting that habit in a vehicle may make him just do that every time he gets in a vehicle, no matter what. It becomes body memory. Yep, absolutely. Yep. Muscle memory. Yep. And then, you know, add to that the fact that we're creating neurology. You're not just practicing random skill. You're creating a pathway from an emotional mind over here to a separate place. And eventually your brain gets it and it doesn't have to practice five, four, three, two, one. It's an automatic, oh, there's a pathway. Let's go this way. Wow. Thank you. I'm not cutting this off. I'm just saying thank you because that oh, is yeah. some good stuff that I need to help and work with my son on to try to figure out what's going on. We have no idea Absolutely. what's going on. Well, and you know, that's what the professional's for. But as right. a father and a peer supporter, you need to keep him safe until that professional can figure out what's going on. And I think right. that's the important part of the first aid class that we took and algae and all that. It's the peer. It's in the moment, making sure they don't hurt themselves or hurt other people. The professionals are there to treat, diagnose and all that. We're just there to help them out in the moment. And that's right. the key. This is great yeah. stuff. Would you agree with that, Julie? Yeah, I think that's exactly right. So, yeah, the professional can get to the bottom of it. They can do the sleep study. They can find out that he's, you know, I don't know what's happening in his sleep, or they can find out that there's something going on or prescribe some kind of medication that's more permanent. But in the meantime, these are skills that, you know, that we use not just for helping our loved ones, but also for ourselves. It is stressful having family members that have mental illness. And when you talk, so we've taken it to the point of like this person's in crisis, but also it's important to point out that we have to maintain our own mental health in order to be there for our loved ones. And mindfulness is the kind of thing that helps everybody, everybody. Right. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Self-care. You can't take care of somebody else if you don't take care of yourself. That's true. Mental health, <laughs> self-care. Yeah. 
Yeah. And if you practice it yourself, when it comes down to somebody else being in crisis or, or even just a family member that's having to deal with their own loved one that is in crisis, right? You can walk them through this and say, well, you know what? I learned this. It helped me. Maybe it'll help you too. And coming of it from that, from that perspective um, is also sometimes even more credible than coming than it coming from a doctor. Yes. Trust. Is trust. Think, yeah, trust. Yes. Yeah, yeah. One hundred percent. So cute Good kid, stuff. by the way. Yeah. He thinks <laughs> to be in show business. That's what I'm talking about. That was me back when I was a baby. Yeah. I was running in front. Oh, of he is. He but... is going to show business. <laughs> yeah. There you go. So. Let him have its fun. Yes, it's we're all awesome. good. Yeah. 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 Can you say hi? Hi. 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 So. So yeah, see that's that's good stuff. That I want to work with my son on because I'll get calls quite a bit from him. It they've been so sporadic. Help it. Really is. Yeah. When he calls, I just try to get. It. Hey, you're pulled over. Where are you at? You know, a deep breath. Yeah. Listen to you know. I, I'm on my way to get you, and I'm talking. Yeah. Not panicking. Mm-hmm. I'm jumping up, throwing shoes on, running out the door. But my voice is very calm because I don't. He's already amped up. I don't want to get it anymore. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. No. How you doing? <laughs> You think so, Victor? Victor agrees. Yep. There you go. There you go. Deal. So I I really want to say I appreciate it. We're going on about an hour right now, so we probably should wrap up the show. I do want to say thank you because I I was passionate. Well, you know I'm passionate about mental health. And, you know, we all have our own reasons. But I really appreciate you coming on and talking about this because I really do think there's some fundamental, basic skills that everyone should know. Yes. And, you know, it's it, just for peer support in itself, even if you don't live with someone who has mental health, I think there's still really good key skills that everyone should have. Yes. And, yeah. and just based on what I know, I mean, and, and I'm, like you, I mean, you know it way better than I do, but just based on what I've learned, I, I can see the value in everyday life. And, and I think that's important. That's why I wanted to have you on the show. Yes. So, I'm, I'm it, right there with him. I want to thank you, too. I really appreciate this. This is great stuff. I just, it's great. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you. Thank you all for having me. You're welcome. Thank Any, you all for your passion and, and, and helping folks that have that are struggling and and that's everybody that's what people that don't have mental illness to you know everybody has mental health struggles at some point in their life oh, well, no matter what yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we all do we all do and so yes. um any final comments that you want to share with the crowd i guess you know if i was going to make a final statement i would i would i would like to repeat the um the importance of self care because I don't think that we can say it enough that you you guys you know you're both you're both givers you're both carers otherwise you wouldn't be doing this 
Thank and you. I think that's probably true for a lot of your viewers um, is also that they're carers, they're supporters. And what I know about carers is that they, they find the energy to give to other people and, and they don't always find the energy to give to themselves. And so, you know, it's not just that you have to, you know, keep, you have something in order to give, right? You have to keep, take care of yourself in order to give. But I would also suggest that you also have to model what that looks like. Like you are the example, Jay, Nick, you are the example of what it looks like to have self-care and everybody that's watching you and anybody that, including your family members, they're all looking at you ah. as that example. And so whatever that looks like, and I would hope that maybe after today, what that looks like is mindfulness every day at the bare minimum, add mindfulness to your regime. And, and, and I think that you'll, you can come back in two, three weeks and talk about how that helps do a show on self-care in two or three weeks and talk about how mindfulness, introducing mindfulness every day has helped you. Okay. We, we have done an episode. That's your homework. Yeah. We, I just yeah. gave you homework. We, we, Thank you. We, we did an episode on self-care, by the way. We did do an episode. Yeah. And I actually okay. pulled out the uh, book. From uh, and just yeah. went through the chapter on self care, and when I pulled out some information off of uh, one of the National Institute's website, and we just talked about uh -huh. their kind of suggested, you know, and we told everybody this is you know where we got the information from. This is not nothing that you yeah. know, yeah. but I think that's a great a great point. We've done reactionary videos for other things. Maybe we'll do a reactionary, you know, video podcast about mindfulness and we'll start trying to practice some of that. And maybe Nick can share with us maybe if some of those things are helping with his son. Yeah. I would love that. Yeah. That would be great. Yeah. So thank you. That that's a good challenge. We'll take you thank up you on so that challenge. Very much so. I love it. Awesome. I love it. Love it. Yeah. So Nick, any last final thoughts? I don't, brother, but I, you know I always love you. I love you too. And folks, of course, we always love our fans. Um, we hope you enjoyed the information. It was really great. And um, we think everyone could benefit. So, you know, um, keep listening and keep following.